As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. That on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month for six months. Sam Amick just released a really juicy article about the Hawks that you can only get at theathletic.com. Go check that out. With me, as always, is my good friend, Alex Spears. Alex, tell us what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, on Friday night, let's start with a team we haven't talked about in a while. The Charlotte Hornets. Now, the Hornets may be at the bottom of the standings, but for one night, things went very well. The Hornets were in Milwaukee facing the Bucks and opened the game by scoring 51 points in the first quarter, (laughs) tying an NBA record for most points in the first quarter of a game. It was also a franchise record for most points in any quarter. Terry Rozier scored 39, and the Hornets got their 11th win of the season with a 138-109 demolishing of the Bucks. On Saturday night, the Lakers won their fifth in a row with a narrow 136-134 win over the Kings in Sacramento. LeBron scored 37 in the game, his 15th 30-point game of the season in only 32 games played. The Lakers have since lost two in a row since the Kings games, but there is hope. There were reports this week that Anthony Davis will be ramping back up to play in the very near future. The Lakers are currently 19-23, 13th in the West. On Sunday, the Nets continued their dominant run, beating the Miami Heat 102-101. It was Brooklyn's 18th win in their last 20 games. Unfortunately, the win was overshadowed by an injury to Kevin Durant. Late in the third quarter, Jimmy Butler fell back into Katie's right knee, causing Katie to fall to the floor, grabbing his knee in pain. It was later determined to be an MCL sprain, and Katie is expected to miss a month. Brooklyn is currently 27-14, second in the East. On Monday... We got a great game between the Milwaukee Bucks and the New York Knicks at MSG. The Knicks were up by 17 with five minutes left in the third quarter. Fueled by a career night from Jalen Brunson, who had 44 in the game, 
The Bucks, however, stormed back and had regained the lead with 10 minutes left in the fourth. From that point on, it was a back-and-forth game, with the Bucks finally pulling it out 111-107. Joe Ingles, who made his season debut about three weeks ago, had his best game so far this season, contributing 17 points, including five three-pointers for the Bucks. On Tuesday night, it was Donovan Mitchell's first game back in Utah since the trade last summer. Mitchell scored 46 in his return, but it would not be enough. The Cavs were up 107-102 with three minutes left. That's when Utah went on a 13-0 run, which included nine straight points from Jordan Clarkson, who had 32 in the game. The Jazz are 21-23, ninth in the West. Also on Tuesday night, the Miami Heat beat the Oklahoma City Thunder 112-111. In the game, the Heat set an NBA record by making all 40 of their free throws. That's right. The Heat Uh. took and made 40 free throws in a row in a single game. So disgusting. Uh, so you, disgusting. Yeah, if you can't tell by my voice, it was amazing to watch. Whistle, <laughs> shoot the ball, reset, shoot the ball. Professional basketball at its absolute apex. You know, soccer often gets called the beautiful game, but have you ever seen a soccer game with 40 perfectly placed penalty kicks? No, you haven't. On Wednesday night, it was a battle between two teams stuck in the middle, the Chicago Bulls and the Washington Wizards. This one came down to the wire. Zach Levine tied the game up at 97 with 30 seconds left after hitting a three, but it was Kyle Kuzma who was the hero this night as Kuz hit a fadeaway three over Alex Caruso with five seconds left. Now, the Bulls still had time, but Zach Levine decided to attempt a mid-range jumper down three. The shot rimmed out, which didn't really matter since they would have lost even if he had made it, and the Wizards prevailed 100-97. to These two teams sit on the fringes of the play-in with Chicago in 10th and the Wizards in 12th one game back. Finally, on Thursday night, it was a double overtime thriller in L.A. with the Dallas Mavericks squeaking by the Lakers 119 to 115. The game featured two game-tying threes from Luka Doncic, first at the end of regulation and again at the end of the first overtime. Luka finished with a 35-14-13 triple-double, while Christian Wood contributed 24-14 and as well as some key blocks down the stretch and in overtime. The Mavs are in the middle of a five-game road trip, and after starting off with losses to OKC and the Clippers, the Lakers' win was much needed. Next stop, Portland, Oregon, where the Blazers have lost 10 of their last 13. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed. Al, we are halfway through the year, and uh, it's it's time to announce some Slammies, some awards. Uh, but before then, I think that you have some updates for us. I do have some some very important updates for you. Uh, first of all, I apologize for my voice. I got sick uh, literally <laughs> last night. If you want to hear what I sound like healthy, you can listen to the second half of this podcast that was recorded That's yesterday right. when I sound perfectly normal. Magically uh, healthy in the second half of this yes. one. So uh, we've been checking in on the kind of championship contenders, seeing if we can whittle this down by comparing the current uh, crop of candidates to NBA champions of years past. So I've gone back 52 years, back to the 1971 season when Milwaukee won uh, their first championship, looking at like what were these teams' records at certain points of the season. So it's, it's the halfway point. Seems like a good point to check in. So I went back, looked at all 52 of those teams. The absolute worst that a eventual NBA champion was halfway through the season was 24 and 17. 
That was the 2006 Miami Heat. The Heat. <laughs> the, uh, and the 1978 Washington Bullets, which if you've listened previously, the Washington Bullets, that, that particular team kind of stand out among all these teams yeah. as a not very good team that ended up winning the championship. Yeah. That's important, Andrew. 24 and 17 was kind of higher than I thought it would be. On average, the eventual champion has won 30 games by this point. Of course, there's only one team in the league that has won 30 games, which is the Boston Celtics. But I want to walk people through how we did this. So the first thing that I did was no champion has ever had worse than eighth best odds to win it in the preseason. So right there, we marked off the Nuggets, the Lakers, and the Grizzlies. Very rude to those uh, teams, especially the Nuggets and the Grizzlies, who are at the top of the Western Conference. But I had to do it, Andrew. I had to do it. Uh, Next, no NBA champion has ever started out 1-4 or 0-5. Based on that, I had to to chop the Sixers and the Nets. No champion has ever had fewer than four wins in their first 10. Based on that, I had to chop the Golden State Warriors. Now, that got us down to a group of five. Boston, Milwaukee, the Clippers, Phoenix, and Miami. And since the last time we spoke, things have not gone well for three of those teams. All of the Clippers, Phoenix, and Miami do not have 24 wins at the halfway point of the season, which means we have to chop them, Andrew, leaving us with only two possible championship contenders, the Boston Celtics and the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, of course, this is comparing these teams to champions of the past. Currently, Boston and Milwaukee are the only two who have met every criteria so far. Now, it could end up being that, you know, perhaps the Nuggets win the championship or the Grizzlies win the championship, and we'll have to uh, adjust some of these criteria. But as of right now, comparing it to the past, it is only Boston and Milwaukee. All right, our wow. second update. Surprise team. I just want to let everyone know, uh, Cleaning the Glass has, you know, a projected record, end of season record. We currently still have four teams who are on pace to be a surprise team this year, which means that they would win at least 10 games more than their over-under. And the team that has the best shot, well, it's Utah. Their over-under was 25 and a half. Their expected wins is 43. So they're they're doing pretty well. They got eight games. They may not get there, but they're going to definitely blow that prediction out of the water but the second most likely team right now is the Mm -hmm. oklahoma city thunder their over under is 23 and a half and they are currently expected to win 39 games by cleaning the glass (laughs) which is wild i mean that would be almost 500 for uh, our favorite team a team that we didn't even consider really for a surprise team we don't want to be homers. Part of it's we don't want to be homers. We don't want to be homers, but honestly, part of it is we wouldn't have picked them anyways. Part of it is that I picked them to win 27 wins. That's the other part of this. Uh, the other two teams, Indiana, uh, they, they have a big gap, so they're probably going to get there. And then Sacramento, which was kind of our final pick. Obviously, I picked Orlando. That's not looking good. But you picked Sacramento. Sacramento was the last team I talked about. Their expected wins right now are exactly 45 wins, which means they ha- they have to get 45 wins. So they're on pace, wow. but not a lot of wiggle yeah. room. Uh, yeah. The last update I wanted to uh, share with you, Andrew, was back in uh, sometimes in the in the late summer. You and I had a draft where we were drafting who we thought would be first time All Stars this season. <laughs> And I just yeah, wanted to remind people to uh, let to, them know how bad we did. 
So you started yeah. off Anthony Edwards. Yeah. Which, not a bad pick, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah, with the way that it feels. I pick Scotty Barnes as my first pick. That's that's not going to happen, Andrew. Doesn't feel good. Uh, I picked Evan Mobley as my second pick. You know, perfectly fine season, but uh, he's maybe not third on that list, fourth on that list on the Cavs in terms of who's going to be an All Star. Yeah, uh, yeah. You went Jamal Murray for your second pick. Perfectly reasonable pick, but it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. Nope. Cade, Cun- Cade Cunningham was your third pick. That's not going to happen. Uh, yeah. Nope. Tyrese Maxey, my third pick. Not going to happen. Finally. Nope. Finally, we make a smart decision. I pick SGA as my fourth pick. There you go. Finally, we get to there one. You and then He's you pick Jalen Brunson as your fourth pick. Another guy who seems like he'll probably make it. And he then we get there. Yeah. We ended with DeAndre Ayton, Wendell Carter Jr. We did about as bad oh. as you could do. Uh, and some of the names that have <laughs> since come about that uh, that we didn't choose, De'Aaron Fox has a, has a yeah. decent shot. Larry Markinen, which he wasn't even on my list of names to choose from. Dude, yeah, if, but it would be it would have been preseason. It would have been foolish to say it would have been incredible. The one that kind of surprised me: none, neither of us picked Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, who now seems like he has like a pretty good shot. And then we know, just thought they were going to be in the. In the down in the dumps, know, man. We I thought know, they'd be down there with the Rockets. Well, we is screwed where we thought up, they'd be. Andrew. We messed up. And then you know, guys like Paulo, Tyler Hero, CJ McCollum, Jeremy Grant. Maybe none of those guys make it, but they're better choices than some of the names we picked. So, anyways, yeah. that's the update there. Uh, as a reminder, on average per season, there are six first-time All Stars. So we'll see who uh, yeah. who it's going to be this yeah. year. And that brings us to the mid-season Slammy Awards. Uh, we're not going to be talking about uh, Six Man of the Year, MVP, whatever the other ones are. These are our own awards that we have made up. We have uh, 13 of them, and we're going to go through them one by one. Starting off with the No Regrets Award, this award goes to the offseason move that is looking the best halfway through the season. Andrew, who did you award the No Regrets Award to? So if I was going to go smart guy, I'm thinking DeAnthony Melton to the Sixers. I really like that oh trade. My. That's a good one. Or maybe even the Christian Wood trade no, for the Mavericks. No, I thought that. that was pretty good. But it's got to go to the Cleveland Cavaliers and their trade for Donovan Mitchell over the offseason. That He's was my choice as well. But I, I expanded it. I include... Utah in this as well. Let's let's include them sure. in the festivities. The whole trade. Yeah. The whole deal. I mean, it's it's kind of wild to think about superstar trades in the past. Uh, you know, like Bill Simmons used to always talk about this, how like if you're the team trading away the superstar, it almost always ends up horribly for you. But yeah. now in this new yeah. era of superstar trades where you're just getting a ton back, the balance, you know, it's a little more in balance than it was previously. And for Utah. Definitely. To get back Lowry Markinen, who we just mentioned is likely going to be an all-star in Salt Lake. Uh, Ochai Agbaji, who's getting some increased minutes as of as of recent as of as recent weeks. Uh, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first, two pick swaps. This is one of those trades where six months later, I think both teams would do the exact same trade now. Here's how you know it's good. Is that the Jazz fans were happy to greet they Donovan were. this past week. That's how you know that's how you know a trade is good. Like Oklahoma City greets Paul George with cheers. That's right. Even though he left after two years and did the whole I'm here to stay, blah, 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 did the whole party thing. And then he left a year later 
Everyone understood. We got SGA and a boatload of picks. We're all feeling really good. It's great. Yeah, it, it was. It's one of those win-win trades. I mean, the the first PG trade was one of those as well. When OKC traded Sabonis and Oladipo, like that ended up being yeah. a win-win trade. And yeah, I, I just love the Donovan Mitchell trade because it seems like everyone is happy on both sides. Which what is more deserving of the No Regrets Award than that? So congrats yeah, to both. No regrets teams. all around. Yeah, that 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 feels good. Uh, now on the flip side, our second award, the All Regrets Award. This award goes to the <sighs> offseason move that is looking the worst halfway through the season. Now there's an obvious one here, but I went for yeah. the second obvious one, which is the Hawks trading away Kevin Herter to the Sacramento Kings. Ooh. They yeah, traded Kevin Herter to the Kings for Mo Harkless, Justin Holiday, and a 24 first-round pick from the Kings, which is pro- lottery protected in 24, then top 12 protected, then top 10 protected. And if it hasn't conveyed, they get two seconds. So the best-case scenario with that pick is the 11th pick in 2026. Sacramento gets Kevin Herter. By the way, the Hawks then had to flip Mo Harkless to OKC to actually get below the luxury tax, which is where this is all heading. And they had to give up a unprotected 2029 pick and then amend another second round pick just to flip Mo Harkless. So you have to include that in this calculation as well. Now, the idea with this, well, let's be honest. The idea with this was to get under the luxury tax. In fact, uh, I was reading about this trade and there was a tweet from Chris Kirshner, who works at The Athletic, uh, now covering the yep. Yankees, I believe, but once upon a time was That's the Hawks writer, was on this show. He had, a, yep. he had a reply to someone saying the Herder trade was an abomination, but that didn't come from the front office. So we have some insider knowledge that this really was about avoiding the luxury tax. Now, the argument they could have made is, oh, you know, we want to focus more on defense this year, and that's why they bring in DeJounte Murray. What has happened, though, is Atlanta went from second in three-point percentage last season to 27th this season. They're taking fewer threes as well, though that has slightly improved since Bogdanovich has come back from injury. The defense has improved, 26 to 15th, and a lot of that has been without Capella as of recently. The offense has gone from second to 23rd. Now, not all of that is because they traded away Kevin Herter, but they didn't have to trade him, Andrew. Luxury tax isn't calculated till the end of the season, right? So couldn't yeah. they have traded him in season? And arguably, now that we know the current state of the trade market where there are no sellers, couldn't you imagine them yeah. getting more than what they got for Kevin Herter? And the other thing is, this is a team that's supposed to be going all in. Like, what's more all in than the move they made for DeJounte Murray? Kevin Herter, it's not like he's some old vet. He's 24. He's younger than DeJounte. He's younger than DeAndre Hunter, younger than John Collins. He's the same age as Trey Young. He fit perfectly into their timeline. And with that kind of younger core, he had a very needed skill, which was shooting. And now you look at what's happening in Sacramento. He's having career highs almost across the board. He's taking a career high 7.1 threes per game and shooting 42% on those shots. Among players who take at least seven threes per game, only Buddy Heald and Steph are shooting a better percentage than Kevin (laughs) Herter. In my opinion, that's an all-regrets award candidate, Andrew. It's so bad. And if like you're trying to hold on to them like the year they made the conference finals, like Herter played a giant role for them that year. He played 31 minutes in the playoffs every game for them. He did. Made some big shots. Played actually like decent defense for them in that run. And that was bad. I mean, I thought about DeJounte Murray as well. Just like 
I mean, you could just say the Hawks for everything they did. Yeah, especially after the the, uh, the article that um, Sam Amick dropped this morning. Yeah, I mean, it's it is brutal. I'm just I'm gonna go with this one, and this this is also not the Gobert trade. I think we can just say like the Gobert trade is like the real one. I almost named right? the award after the Gobert trade. It's very funny yeah, that neither of us are actually choosing it. It's it, too obvious. Part of it is that that it's being acknowledged weekly on every right, NBA right, right, show. Right, right. So like we don't need to acknowledge how bad it is. Like it just is. So this past summer, the Charlotte Hornets fired James Borrego. Like, fine. If you want James Borrego to fall on the sword of this team being just a dumpster fire, fine. That's fine. Actually, I think James Borrego did not deserve it. I think he's a fine coach. But then, and I know that this is not this was not their first choice. I get that. But hiring Steve Clifford to be your coach, when you know your team's not going anywhere, your roster is just disastrous, and you bring in a win-now coach to coach this team, James, it's, I feel bad for James Borrego, but Steve Clifford's not going to deliver this team anywhere. Nowhere. It's a disaster. They it took them how many games to start playing their first round pick, Mark Williams? How many games did it take? It took like twenty plus games yeah. for them to start playing him. That's just inexplicable. And it's because you hired this guy. This just stop hiring like these bad franchises that are gonna be bad. Stop hiring the retread guys. There are new coaches emerging all the time. And it's because like the style of coaching is just changing and the way to relate to players is changing. And the guys that coached in the early aughts, those guys are largely all gone. There are a few that still remain. And, and, and an example and, like, of one that did remain is someone like Mike Brown, who like went and was an assistant coach with Golden State and clearly yes. has changed his approach from when he was coaching at Cleveland. Yeah, or your Doc Rivers and like the entire fan base is like, yeah, can we just like get somebody else, please? Yeah, <laughs> you know, or like the Knicks, and you're like, can we just please get like a new, young, fresh coach in here that knows how to relate to these guys? I just think that was it's just a it's a move that took them backwards. Now, if they get the number one pick in this draft, like none of it really matters. But I still feel like the team itself is taking such a large step backwards this year, and some of it is that they hired Steve Clifford and didn't try to bring in somebody new and fresh that like you don't have to pay them as much. They will relate to your players better. There are a ton of those guys out there, assistants all over the NBA, and yet they still hired Steve Clifford. I just think it was a disastrous hire. Like I feel like everything outside of LaMelo, everything that they've touched is just terrible. Like everything they do is just not good. So, um, but yeah, that that one I'm just like I look back and it's like, man, that was just so dumb, so disastrous. And now we're going to turn the spotlight on ourselves with the Stay Humble Award. This award goes to the preseason take that we most like to forget. Uh, now, to be fair, you forced this out of me, Andrew. Uh, I didn't uh-huh. want to say it on Slam Jam, uh-huh. but I did, which was that my bold take. As a reminder, it is it was a bold take. I was not expecting it to happen, but I thought it could happen. Was that Minnesota would be the number one team in the West? Yeah, uh, a terrible take. 
that I was basing on, <laughs> you know, Rudy's history in Utah with them consistently being a really good regular season team. I thought he was such a f- the v- the vibes from the end of the season. Vibes from the end of the season with that team. I thought he was like the ultimate floor raiser for them. That was going to fix some of their issues. Uh, it has not gone that way, Andrew. Uh, now, maybe they could be the turnaround team, Andrew, and, and get there by the end of the season. But I've given up sure. on Minnesota being as good as I thought they were going to be. Yeah. I uh, could, could I say the Blazers being my turnaround team? <laughs> Wasn't that a week ago? <laughs> that's one that's keeping me real humble. Every time that I turn on a Blazers game, I'm like, what was I thinking? They've been so bad lately. They've been so horrible lately. That one, uh, I, that one's bad. And I, I thought the Bulls would be decent this year too. And they have uh, been, they've been horrible. They've been horrible in stretches, and I just like uh, both of those. I feel terrible about both of those decisions. Yeah, it's been rough for the Blazers, and it's like not one thing either. Like they've had games where they just like keep turning the ball over. They've had games where they just can't shoot. They've had issues with closing games, which usually you're thinking Dame time, uh, but it has not right. been good lately. And they were a good team to pick because their second half schedule was one of the easier ones. But yeah, off to a very bad start. Uh, okay. Yeah. Next and award, it's, and it's been their offense that's plagued them recently. Like their offense is so bad, and like that's what you're supposed to be good at. And they it's been just rough. stink. They cannot shoot. Um. Okay. Next award, the most shocking stat award. This award goes to the stat that shocked us the most halfway through the season. Um. Really, the thing that's shocking to me this year is that we're still talking about the rise in offensive efficiency. It's a conversation yeah. we've had every year for like the past three years, and we're still having it because the numbers keep going up, Andrew. And I thought the best article I read this year on this was on Sportico.com. Uh, Leva Cabas wrote an article. He did like a, a data viz presentation with all these different charts. One of the charts in particular, though, was just like so striking. So he charted every team's offensive efficiency from the 2014-15 season to this season. One of the things that stands out is if you go back to the process Sixers years, the gap between the second worst offense and this process Sixers is enormous. That's very funny. But the more yeah. general thing that you take away is that there's this creeping up among the bad teams. Like the worst offenses in the league are offenses that would have been solid a few years ago. So for instance, right now, Houston has the worst offense in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, 109.1 offensive efficiency. If you just go back to 2015-16, that would have been the sixth best offense in the league. So even yeah. and, and you think about the way people talk about Houston's offense this season. I know. And the fact that they would have been the sixth most efficient offense in 2015-16. It is really wild. And I just can't get over the fact that we're still talking about that. Like it just keeps getting better. And in his article, um, he goes through a bunch of reasons, other reasons why this is happening. For instance, teams are playing smaller, so the at-the-rim shooting numbers have been going up. Like, if you go back to the bubble yeah. year, teams shot 62.4%. Now they're shooting 66.2%. The elimination of the take foul has made transition offensive efficiency jump in one year from 121.6 to 126. A five points per 100 possessions jump in one year. That's beautiful. So there's a lot of reasons why this is happening, but... It, it, it continues to blow my mind because it keeps happening year after year. 
Yeah, uh, mine is to piggyback on that a little bit. The, the Utah Jazz have the fourth best offense, which just in itself is like mind blowing. Yeah, that they've been able to do this. But remember, two years ago, the Jazz were like setting records for like offensive efficiency, and it was like this is the the greatest offense yeah. ever. Yeah. Look at the ball just churning. Like, look at this. They have the same offensive efficiency that they did two years ago, when they were just like this machine right. that no one could stop. The same. And that just was like, wow. Like they they trade away all these their their two biggest pieces. They look like they're tanking and they have the same offensive efficiency they did two years ago when it was like historic levels. Like it just th- this year has been so much fun to watch because of it. Like some people are like, is this out of control? Like, no, absolutely not. And that's I mean, that's for me that observes the NBA almost every single day. But like even for my kids, like my kids have been more into the NBA this year, just like sitting and watching games because the flow is so much better. I mean, we were at the game where the Thunder scored, put 150 on the Celtics. I was there and took my kids to the game, and they were just in awe through the whole thing. They were locked in yeah. the whole time, <laughs> and like it's it is it's been so much fun, and I hope that it continues because like offensive basketball is like, it's it's where it's at. Um, it's very fun. And, and the record all time is the Brooklyn Nets of 2020-21. Their offensive efficiency was 118.3. Both this year's Celtics and Nuggets are 0.2, 0.2 points behind them. So we could, yeah. uh, by the end of the season, and offense tends to improve as the season goes on, so we could see the all-time best offenses again. All right, next award, Andrew, the NBA Smart Guy Observation Award. This award goes to the NBA Smart Observation that will make you sound the smartest if you repeat it around your group of friends. What do you have for this one? Well, part of part of mine is just the way that people are talking about the sophomore class. And, like, there's there are sophomore slumps going on throughout the league. And, and we know that. And that's – honestly, it's just like, why why can't we be okay with that? You know, guys like Jalen Green and Scotty Barnes and even Evan Mobley just like not performing up to the standards that we set for them. It's like these are all guys that are 20, 21 years old. Like, what are we doing here? Especially Scotty. Like, Scotty is under the microscope so much and he won rookie of the year. And like, even us predicting that he might be in a first time all star and those things aren't happening. Like, that's okay. You don't have to, like, oh, Raptors are done. They should just blow it up and try to get, you know, the number one pick in this draft. Like maybe that's true. Maybe that is the direction they should go. But like, can we not give like 20 and 21 year old guys like room to grow? Like why I just don't understand like why that isn't okay. And like, well, maybe these guys aren't going to be as good as they're supposed to be, you know. And and guys like Franz Wagner, he has lived up to expectations. He's been great. Even Josh Giddy has been really, really great as of late, but we just got to give these guys a little bit of room, I feel like, to grow and learn. Even Jalen Suggs, who has been off to a really bad start as a as a pro, just mostly because of his shooting. His defense has been really good, but his shooting has been putrid. Like, just, I just feel like a lot of times we don't give young guys enough room to grow, and then later we're like, oh man, these guys are great. Like, Wendell Carter Jr. is like a good example of that. Where like early on in his career, it was like, He's not living up to expectations, and he gets traded, and like now all of a sudden they're like, "Oh yeah, well, Wendell Carter's turned into a much better player than than we thought he would be. Like he's better than Vooch." It's like, yeah, he's a young guy that just developed and got better, yeah. and it took him a few years, and that's okay. 
And that's where I'm just like with with Barnes and with Mobley's offense and with even Jalen Green, who's like not has been terrible defensively. His shot, I mean, shooting 40% from the field, 31% from three. He has struggled. But I just we're defining guys' careers way too soon. And like talking too definitively about guys way too soon. And especially guys from this class. I just feel like they get crapped on almost every single day. Yeah, they do. And uh you know, we had the example of Jason Tatum, who also had like a uh underwhelming sophomore season. So like we know that your second season, even if it declines from your rookie season, doesn't define who you are. Um, yeah, yeah I, I also had Scotty Barnes's defense in particular because I, I just think it's interesting how defense is one of those things that's really hard for, for casual fans or even just regular fans who can't watch every game of every team. It's hard to mm-hmm. know because there aren't great stats out there for you to refer to. So you really do have to watch the game. And Scotty Barnes came into the draft with a defensive reputation. Like he was kind of being yeah. expected to be this big switchable wing. He has certainly been switchable, but it feels like this is the year where everyone is kind of learning, oh, he, he does have some of these limitations defensively. He is not the amazing defender he was kind of billed as coming in. And it'll be interesting to see how long that thought kind of anchors the NBA fan community, even as he eventually <laughs> probably does get better at defense going forward. So can it, you think a 21-year-old's like, oh, it's not good at defense. Like, he's going to get better. Like He will get better. I, he's a super smart player. He's got the length. He's got the athleticism. He is a little upright to be playing some of the defensive stuff that they want him to. But like, whatever. Like, give him some time. Like, just give him some space to develop and let that be okay. He's become a much better facilitator. And I've, a lot of times, teams like just to be able to help grow players' games. They have to take a step back at times in order to make that growth happen. And so I feel like that's kind of what's happened with Scotty. And also just that nobody else around him can hit a shot. And like that doesn't yeah. help him either. So I just think like lay off of Scotty Barnes. Uh, next award. There are no small roles award. This award goes to a role player who's making the most of their limited minutes. And I set the cap at less than 20 minutes. Now, Andrew, this is the only one uh, where I'm going to be a little bit of a homer because my pick was Isaiah Joe. Points per shot oh. attempt. 99th percentile. Shooting 42% from three. When he is on the court, OKC is plus 20.7 points per 100 possessions. Better. 99th percentile. Pretty good. Here's one that you might not know, Andrew. The effect Mm -hmm. of Isaiah Joe on SGA's free throws. So I went to pbpstats.com, and they have a stat called shooting foul drawn rate, which is the percentage of shot attempts that result in a shooting foul. When Isaiah Joe is off the court, 16.5% 16.5% of SGA shot attempts result in a shooting foul and a trip to the line. When Isaiah Joe is on the court, that number jumps up to 24.4%. And wow. it makes sense because if you actually have to pay attention to someone beyond the three-point line, it makes it a lot easier for Shea, who is driving on nearly every possession. And it gets you excited as a Thunder fan because it's like, oh, man, if you plug Chet in there and if we still have a shooter like Isaiah Joe next year, who is signed for two more years beyond the season, you can imagine things getting even easier for SGA in a season where he's already averaging, you know, like 30 points per game or whatever. He's only 23 years old. Thank you, Philadelphia. This is this is their return <laughs> gift for OKC giving them Tyrese Maxey when Mike Muscala hit the game winner in the bubble and we lost our pick. Yeah. 
So listen, is he as good as Tyrese Maxey? No, but but we'll we'll accept. No. <laughs> yeah, shooting helps. Turns out, Shoot, having a shooter on the court helps. Um, I'm going to go with Jordan McLaughlin from uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves, who is another plus-minus all-star, plus 19.7 when he's on the court. He just It kind of goes to show that like, they just need some kind of like real facilitator out there. And when he is playing, um, he's just been amazing for them. And so uh, shouts to Jordan on his season. I also like Josh Green, like barely missed the cut here. He's like 20.3 minutes per game. Mm. But the way that he's played for the Mavericks has been awesome. Like he's just been spectacular. 44% from three plays good defense. He's the perfect Luca role player. And it took time. Another reason why, like he was somebody that a year ago, I was talking with somebody who covers the Mavs saying like, man, what a horrific pick. Like, you'd still rather have Desmond Bain than him? Like, of course you would. But it's not as bad as it looked last year for him. So, shouts to Josh Green as well. Australian. We love all of the Australian players. Our next award, Andrew, is the Wheel of Fandom Award. Now, this award goes to the team that any on any given week on Saturday Slam and Jam, we would love to see the wheel land on them. And for me... I chose the Sacramento Kings for a few reasons. One, uh, great fan base. Two, dude, this is my pick too. This is my pick too, by the way. Uh, Mark Jones as the announcer, like having a guy that you associate with national games do the local games, it just adds more like pump and circumstance to the game. It makes you feel like you're watching a national game. They have uh, good fans on Twitter to follow. And the other thing is that they have a really good offense and a bad defense. And what that results in is a lot of very entertaining games. 23 of their 40 games have ended up in clutch time minutes. And the exciting thing about that for Kings fans, obviously you wouldn't want all these close games, you get a little worried, but De'Aaron Fox has been incredible in the clutch. So only DeMar DeRozan has more points in the clutch this season. DeRozan shooting 49% in the clutch, perfectly good. De'Aaron Fox is shooting 62% in the clutch, 40% 40% from three, 88% from the line. You mix in Sabonis, who has 18 straight double-doubles, three triple-doubles mixed in there. It's just every game. Like, I was watching uh, their game against Houston this week, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not seeking out Houston typically on my, on my league pass uh, travels. Yeah. It no, was a no. super close game at the start of the fourth quarter, and then you just had this explosion from the Kings, and it ends up being a blowout. But the games last week against Utah, like every single one of their games seems to have something in terms of entertainment. And I didn't even mention lighting the beam, which is obviously a fun little thing to add on to the end. It's a little cherry on top for us. Yeah. And, and also just the coverage that they have. I feel like there's like a ton of really good Kings podcasts as there well. There are, absolutely. Um, shouts to Deuce and Mo. Shouts to Kings Pulse. Great shows. There's a lot. So like the whole the whole Kings experience is wonderful. And just, I mean, the, the beam. I can't mention the beam enough. I, want, I would like to light the beam along with the Kings fans at some point this season. Uh, when you mentioned some local pods, our next award is the Shop Local Award. An award that goes to our favorite team-specific fan podcast. So who did you choose for this? 
Uh, there's a lot of really good shows out there. there. I mean, shouts to the Jack Jack Ramsey's, shouts to uh, the Dane Moore Pod, shouts to Sixers Beat. Grits and Grinds is also a great one, uh, but I got to give it to the Glue Guys. Our guy Mike Smeltz, Brian, do a great job. It's such an entertaining show, and obviously the team itself is entertaining, but uh, it's a Brooklyn Nets podcast. Very, very good. I would highly recommend checking out the Glue Guys podcast. A great one. Uh, one of my faves. I'm giving it, uh, I don't know if I gave it to this pod last year. I may have, but the You Know Ball podcast with Trillbro Dude. Now, this is yeah. a Sixers podcast, but uh, honestly, it's become more of an NBA-wide podcast this season because uh, Trillbro Dude brought on Sam Sheehan um, from Twitter. Mm-hmm. An incredible oh addition. Uh, great chemistry between these two, Andrew. I love listening. It's. I hope they take this as a compliment, but it's like everything I liked about the Bill Simmons podcast th- throughout its history without any of the stuff I don't necessarily like. Like they just have such yeah. a good relationship and chemistry together. I really enjoy listening to it. And so that's why they get my shop local award. Yeah. Also shouts to the Bun and Cardigan show. If you're looking for a Pistons podcast, it's very good. And then uh, Jay King. And uh, Jam Packard on Anything is Potable, also just a wonderful show. So many good ones out there. If you ever want to learn about a team, listen to the local pods. There's very good ones out there. Yeah. Okay, Andrew, uh, we're going to do two more. All right. First one, biggest swing team award. This award goes to the team that we feel the least confident about how the second half of the season is going to go for them. I chose the Phoenix Suns. Now, Devin Booker has missed 14 of their last 17 games. He or Phoenix has gone two and twelve in those fourteen games. The original report on December twenty eighth was that Booker would be reevaluated in four weeks, which would mean the Suns have yeah. at least another two weeks without him. Cam Johnson remains out, though the most recent report is that he should be back soon. So there's a scenario where you know around the All Star game, post All Star break, all these guys are healthy again. They look like the Phoenix Suns again. The West is cramped enough where you could see them going on a run post All-Star break and getting back even as high as like a home court team. That wouldn't shock me. On the flip side, remember right before Booker got injured is when we got the Suns on our wheel of fandom. They had a one in four stretch that had kind of signaled the start of the questions about this team. And that was with Devin Booker. So yeah, they had started 15 and six and then they had this weird one in four stretch and then Booker gets hurt. So there's another part of me that's like, even if Booker does come back, is it going to be that same Suns team that we saw at the beginning of the year? Or is this team different now? Is, is that one in four stretch, even though it was only five games, was that indicative of something that had gone on with that team? And is that the team that we're going to get in the second half, even if everyone's healthy? I'm not expecting this team to like fall out of the play-in. Um, I think they're in the play-in right now. I expect them to be a top six seed but I do feel like the range of possibilities is a lot wider than I would have thought previously. Yeah. Yeah. It's been shocking at times, you know, they did get that weird win the other night against the warriors with nobody playing, but like that is an outlier for how they played all season. I, I, it's, it does feel like the beginning of the end possibly for them, or just like the beginning of like a shift for them. I don't know what they shift to, but it does feel like things are changing in Phoenix as you know, they change ownership groups. Like what are they going to do? Um, so that's interesting. <laughs> Mine is kind of piggybacking 
off of our Hawks hate earlier. But like, I just do not feel good about the Atlanta Hawks and what they can do in the next half of the season. They're like a middle-of-the-road defense, and their offense is what's been so bad all season. They're 22nd in offensive rating. Like That's not supposed to be who this team is. I mean, you have teams like Washington, the Lakers, the Thunder are better on offense than the Hawks have been this season. Like, that feels impossible, right? Yeah. Like, the relationship between DeJounte Murray and Trey Young has not been what we thought it might be. Um, I don't feel good about what's going on there. I don't know how they pivot. I don't know if they finally trade John Collins. But right now, they sit tied with the Chicago Bulls, who have had a putrid season in record. Um they're right there with Toronto, who's had an awful season. I feel like we think of like Chicago and Toronto having worse seasons, but they've had just as bad a season as those two teams. And those three, like two of those are going to make the playoffs probably. Like I think the Wizards probably stay out. But like two of those teams are going to make it. Like who do you feel most confident in? Like Raptors, Bulls, Hawks. Like which two would you pick? Like mostly I feel like who cares? But right. I, th- I, th- I think the Hawks could fall out of this. And if you're Atlanta and you end up with the 11th seed going into the offseason, what do you do? You just spent all your draft capital to get DeJounte Murray. Who is a free agent like you, in 2024. Yeah, you think he's going to want to stay? I mean, I'm just, uh, I don't know. I'm a little flabbergasted by who the Hawks are. Okay, Andrew, that brings us to our final award. Uh, we actually had more awards, but uh, we've gone on so long. I'm going to ask you which one you want to do. Do you want to do the best team in the second half award or the bold prediction for the second half award? Oh, man. I think people want to hear bold predictions, right? All right. Well, I'll just say I picked Memphis to be the best team in the second half. Uh, who did you pick? I picked, Bo- I picked Boston. They have the 27th uh, ranked strength of schedule. Okay. So it's like, oh, okay. I picked Memphis because uh, Ja, Bain, and Triple J have only played 100 minutes together this season, and they're all back now. Yeah, it's crazy. They've won eight in a row. Yeah. Okay. Bold prediction for the second half award. Now, Andrew, so that people are clear, when you make a bold prediction, it has to be something that you don't actually think is going to happen, but you think there's a chance it's going to happen. And me and Andrew have a scale for this. At the bottom is bell pepper, then jalapeno, then habanero, and then ghost pepper. And that, that's how you rate each other's, the boldness of each other's predictions. Okay? My prediction, Andrew. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, I originally had one, and I didn't think it was bold enough, so I upped the ante. Yeah. Okay. The Los Angeles Clippers will miss the play-in. Oh. That my that's pretty spicy. It is. I was originally going to wow, say that so- they were going to miss the playoffs, but then I went to... Uh, 538, and their percentage chance of making the playoffs is 57%, so it's not even like it's that high. Yeah. So I felt like I had to to spice it up a bit. Their schedule starting tonight is absurd. So from tonight until I think February 10th, they play 16 games. They do not get more than one day off in between any of those games. Ten of those games are on the road. There's two back-to-backs mixed in there as well. I mean, the, the team has already had issues coming up to this point. They now have the second toughest strength of schedule by opponent winning percentage the rest of the year. 
And it's like, okay, they get through that. Maybe they'll get through that stretch and they'll be hanging around the play-in. Post-All-Star break, they will have played all of the bottom four teams in the league. No more games against Houston. No more games against Detroit. No more games against Charlotte or San Antonio. They're all playing games that are fighting for either play-in or playoff position. It's one of the more wow. difficult schedules coming up. And we're assuming that like Kawhi is going to be consistently healthy over this time. Paul George is going to come back and be healthy. Yeah, if those guys come back, this is going to look really stupid if they're playing that entire time. But if it goes like the first half of the season is gone, where they're kind of in and out, out of the lineup, and you combine that with this schedule, and you look at the West standings, where they are just, I mean, they're right up against teams that are in, you know, the 11th or 10th spot. I don't think mm-hmm. it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's going to happen, but I think it could, is within the realm of possibility enough to make it my bold prediction. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't know if this is bold enough, but Denver loses in round one. Whoa, oh, wow. That, I think that's pretty, I would give that, uh, I'd give that a habanero, Andrew. Okay. okay. Because I also had the six, this, I had the Sixers losing in round one too, but mm, like that is not bold. That bold. Not bold. Uh, yeah. If Denver yeah. lost in round one, especially because I think right now they're the one seed in the West, that would be losing a one eight matchup, which they're tied. Okay. Currently. I mean, yeah. If they got matched up with Golden State in retrospect, and Golden State gets healthy, it wouldn't seem that bold in retrospect. But it wouldn't feel. But that right bold. now, I'm giving you Habanero. I'm locking it in. Okay. Okay. That's that's part of like the like my just like the possibility. Like if they played Utah or if they played Minnesota, right. yeah, I'd be like, all right, this is stupid. But there's a possibility that they play. Phoenix or the Warriors or the Clippers. Yeah. And like that's what's that's what's crazy about the West is that yeah, like Denver and Memphis and New Orleans are having great seasons. But like how confident do you actually feel if they have to in round one have to match up with Golden State, Phoenix, or the Clippers, which are all possibilities. Or even Dallas. Like it it wouldn't if Dallas fell into the play in and had to win the play-in tournament to get in the playoff. Like, that wouldn't shock me if that happened. And then if you're Dallas going up against Denver or even Memphis or the Pelicans, like, would it be insane to pick the Mavericks in that series? It wouldn't be insane. Obviously, Denver would still be favored, but somebody would be picking the Mavs. The, you know, like, there's a lot of things that feel like, obviously, there's a lot of things that they're trying to flatten out in the NBA with, like, lottery odds and whatever. They want com- competition throughout the entire league. The West really does feel like that. I think picking matchups in the West for the West playoffs is going to be so difficult. Like, they're typical in the past, it's felt like there's, like, some gimme matchups. Like, oh, this team is so dominant. They're going to destroy who is ever in front of them. But I, I don't feel great about any matchup yeah. <laughs> if I'm a team at the top. Because if if you get Golden State as like the eighth seed, which is who they are now, it's like, gosh, like I might pick the eighth seed to win the West. I don't know. It wouldn't be that shocking. It wouldn't be that shocking. Uh, one of those teams that's going to likely have home court advantage that could have a kind of a scary matchup in the first round is the New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to talk about them right after this break. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Andrew, it is time for this week's Wheel of Fandom, and this week's team is the New Orleans Pelicans, who we've been following for the last two weeks. Now, uh, recently has been a difficult stretch for the Pelicans, who have lost five of their last seven. Part of that difficulty has been the schedule. Those five losses were to Boston, Dallas, Philly, Brooklyn, and Memphis. More importantly, however, the Pelicans continue to deal with injuries to their star players. Brandon Ingram has only played 15 games this season, while Zion is out at least another week or two after coming out of a January 2nd game with a hamstring strain. The Pelicans are currently 25-17, third in the West. According to Cleaning the Glass, they are seventh in offense, eighth in defense. Andrew, if our favorite team is the Pelicans, who is our guest? Could only be one guy. It's our guy Will Guillory. Works for the Athletic. One of my, honestly, just one of my favorite dudes. Just on the earth. Not covering the not just about the Pelicans or the NBA. Just one of my favorite people. Will Guillory. What's up, Will? Oh, it's always good to be back, man. I appreciate you. You are also one of my favorite guys, Andrew Schlesser. Let's talk about this Pelicans team. Their their depth has been a major story of this season, and we got to see the Pelicans' depth at full force uh, these past couple weeks with Zion and B.I. out, with so many players on the roster getting more minutes than they might usually. Uh, Who's made the most of their opportunity? Yeah, I think, you know, first off, you got to go with Najee Marshall, uh, my guy Najee, who um, one of my favorite things about this season is the fact that Najee Marshall got the nickname The Knife from uh, one of our press conferences with Willie Green because we were asking about uh, Willie saying that Larry Nance was a Swiss Army knife. So somebody asked, well, if Larry's a Swiss Army knife, what's Najee Marshall? And Willie Green was like, yeah, he's just a knife. Because you know exactly what you're getting from single <laughs> day. Uh, so I think Najee has been incredible this season, having a career year, a former undrafted free agent, uh, stepping up in a starting lineup. He had back-to-back games scoring career highs uh, recently. So I think he's played really well. And I think another undrafted free agent, Jose Alvarado, GTA, uh, you know, he's known for being a guy getting those sneaky steals, hiding in the corner running up behind people, but he's just stepped his game up in every way, you know, shooting the ball better. He had a 38-point game this season, uh, just just being a better facilitator, getting to the rim. And I can – I mean, I can go down the list. Larry Nance has been really good off the bench. Trey Murphy has made a jump in year two. I think just the way that they've developed their young players has been really impressive. And if you would have asked me last year if I would be talking about the Pelicans having the deepest roster in the league, when they were playing Garrett Temple and Tomas Sadoransky and some of those lineups I watched during the first half of last season, I would have laughed at you. But I think it's a testament to, you know, what David Griffin and the front office has done drafting really well uh, these past two seasons and their player development behind the scenes. But, you know, undrafted guys like Najee Marshall and Jose Alvarado turning them into real contributors. 
So one of the questions coming out of last season was, how would this all work once Zion was back in the lineup? And specifically, how the Pelicans' two best players, Zion and Brandon Ingram, would play together. Those two have only played in 12 games so far this season together, though they have been a huge positive in those minutes. Do you still have any lingering questions about the Zion-BI combo, or are you confident that those questions about their on-court pairing have been answered somewhat? No, I've never been one to really question their pairing because I saw it work during the 2020-21 season, right, where little point Zion kind of emerged. Zion was putting up those incredible numbers, and B.I. was basically putting up the same numbers he did during his all-star season the previous year. So I think those guys know how to work really well together. And I think the big question was defensively, where they're going to step up their games. And I think Zion in particular has really made a big jump defensively, just playing with more effort, playing with a better mindset from night to night. Uh, I think that was a big part of the improvement he showed this season. I think the bigger question is just how are you going to play all these guys, right? Cause they're winning games yeah. with Najee Marshall, with Dyson Daniels, with Jose Alvarado. You got all of these guys and, we know once you get to the playoffs, you're going to play eight, maybe nine guys in some of these big games. And the Pelicans, you know, when they're healthy, they feel pretty good about like 11 to 12 of their guys. And they want to get all of them minutes. And I think that's going to be a big test for Willie Green. How can he really, you know, really cut down on what his rotations are going to look like and what the roles are going to be. Uh, but when you just look at the top tier talent on the scene with Zion, B.I., C.J., Jonas Valanciunas, uh, they're going to be a big problem to deal with in the playoffs. I, I think it's just about, you know, how are you going to find the right type of lineups to bring the most out of those guys and just how you defend if you're going to play Zion and, and Jonas Valanciunas in your front court. Uh, looking at NBA.com, the, the Pelicans allow a league worse 72.2% from opponents in the restricted area. How big of an issue is rim protection for this team? Is it something that you think will improve once everyone gets back healthy? Or is this something the Pelicans could potentially seek to improve before the trade deadline? Yeah, I think that's the one thing I will point to. I, I, I've been kind of skeptical about them really making the big move going into the trade deadline because, like I said, they love their depth so much. They love their young guys. They love the chemistry in the locker room. But I do think if they were to make a move, that's the area I would point to uh, because as good as Jonas is in the paint, he's not really a rim protector. Uh, Larry Nance is really good switching on the perimeter, but he's not going to get a lot of block shots. You know, Zion will, will get a crazy block every now and then, but he's not a real rim protector. So I think uh, that's going to be a real concern for them moving forward. And I, I, I'm not really convinced that they're going to address it just because I think the way they look at it is we'll make up with it without forcing turnovers or, you know, just being active off the ball. I think that's what they really take pride in is just playing on the string together. Guys like Herb Jones and Jose just being real disruptive in the passing lane. So I think that's what they look at as their strength. But I do think, you know, if you got to play a guy like John Morant in the playoffs, how do you stop him from consistently finishing at the rim? Uh, I think that's going to be something to keep in mind. Or a guy like Jokic, who scores a whole bunch of his baskets at the rim, how can you deter those guys? And I really don't think they have the guys on the roster right now. We've seen a little bit from Jackson Hayes being to do that, but I don't think he's going to get a ton of minutes in the playoffs. So uh, that's something they've got to address, but I'm not sure if they're going to address it this season. Yeah, that's a tough one to address. And and Hayes might like be a guy that could eventually develop into that guy. He played a really great game in Oklahoma City. He's he still yeah. has a ton of potential, but you know, there's a, there's a lot to be desired there with him as well. Where <laughs> where is he like in the pecking order of this team? If like if everybody's healthy, does he touch the court? 
No, nah, I mean, he was getting DMPs early in the season. And really, he started playing, you know, once Larry Nance started dealing with some injury issues and Zion's, obviously, his injury popped up. And I think, you know, Jackson's a guy, we've kind of gone through this before with him, you know, in past seasons where he started off slow, they benched him, he got some minutes and showed some potential and, you know, starting to show a little bit more. And he's been doing that recently. But I think when you're playing Zion, Jonas Valanciunas, and Larry Nance, there just aren't a whole lot of minutes left for Jackson Hayes, especially when they prefer playing him at the four rather than the five because he has concerns with rebounding and defending pick and roll. I think he's at his best when he can kind of just roam around, uh, just be an athlete in the open court. And it's harder to do that uh, when Zion's eating up all the minutes at the four. You know what I mean? So I yeah. think. That's going to be tough for him. Uh, but I'm, I've am i always been a big, a big Jackson Hayes fan. I think he's got a ton of talent. I really, with him, it's just more about the neck up, just him being really young, inconsistent. Uh, that's the biggest thing. And I think really, to be frank, I think he just needs to be in a position where he can go to a team and just play 30 minutes a game and learn from his mistakes. And with this group, unfortunately, he just won't have those opportunities. Yeah, it's kind of a red, a red flag that they can't play him as like your five. Like he needs to be able to be a five. Yeah. Um, a side story of this season for the Pelicans, it's what's going on with the Lakers. Like if you're a Pelicans fan, you just kind of have to be smirking every time that you hear about the Lakers. Uh, they owe their unprotected pick to the Pelicans. Everyone knows about this this year. The pick will currently be the 11th pick and Sam Vecini has them taking guard Nick Smith Jr. in his newest mock draft. Are there any prospects that the Pelicans fans have kind of looked at outside of like, obviously like, Getting Victor Wembanyama would be ridiculous. But yeah, I think, you know, you said they've been smirking looking at that pick. I can tell you people within the organization are doing more than smirking when they're thinking about what the, that Lakers pick is looking like. They watch the Lakers games very intently. And I think yeah. they're very conscious of the fact that the Lakers may hand them another top pick when they gave them Dyson Daniels last year in the top 10. And, yeah. you know, them the number four overall pick the year they got AD and then they flipped that into Jackson Hayes and the kill Alexander Walker. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the big thing for them is, is just kind of one figuring out the salary because if you're drafting another top 10 guy, that's a pretty big salary on a team that's going to get really expensive once the Zion extension kicks in. And yep. it goes back to your previous question. I think they got a ton of wings with Herb Jones, uh, Trey Murphy. We can go down the list, Brandon Ingram. Uh, they got guards with Jose, CJ. I think. They need to find another big who can play next to Zion Williamson at a relatively cheap rate. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is really solid, but he's over 30. He's played 10-plus years in the league. I think you need to have what that transition is going to look like. The next guy, Larry Nance, is another guy who's been in the league for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. Then threes. I don't think anybody looks at him as a starting center. Uh, so I think – uh, with Jackson Hayes hitting free agency this summer, I think that they're, they're going to keep their eye on what the bigs look like in this draft and how they can potentially fit next to Zion Williams and how they can add, in particular, on the defensive end. Uh, you know, can you can you get a guy who switches a little bit of everything, like uh, Jarris Walker, I think his name is from from uh, Houston. They got some other yep. another guy from Oregon who can stretch out and shoot the three ball. Where uh, so I think they're going to be keeping an eye on those guys, but I mean. The big prize, no doubt, is the big 7-3 dude from France. Because if you put him on this team, oh uh, it's gosh. for the rest of the league. <laughs> yeah, that would, it, would feel, it, it would feel like you just like creating a 2K player and just putting him on whatever team you wanted. It's like, yeah, let's just up, sliders up on everything for this guy and then throw him onto a team with Zion. Yeah, that's, 
that uh that would definitely be the dream and and for it to not be your own pick too is like the um, would be the the craziest thing about it you would definitely know? a lot of the rim protection problems that's for sure yeah yeah <laughs> gosh it'd be ridiculous uh okay last question in last season's playoffs, the Pelicans entered as the scrappy young team with nothing to lose. This year, there's actually expectations there, um, as they'll likely be probably favored in a first-round matchup. So there's expectations behind this next run. Assuming they eventually get everyone back healthy, what do you think that this team's biggest question marks are coming into the playoffs? Really, I mean, it's what you said. It's, can they be healthy a, just get healthy for the playoffs, and B, can they be healthy enough to get some time just to gain that chemistry and learn how to play together, get their rotations in order? Because it's not just being healthy in April. I think you got to have a few months of, of road there just for Willie Green to figure out what this thing is going to look like, how Zion Williamson is going to play with CJ and B.I., how are they going to mm-hmm. In fourth quarters with those three guys on the court. I think you've seen flashes of greatness with those guys. And I think it's tough because Zion didn't really start to take off until the B.I. injury happened. It took him some time just to get his legs under him after being away for so long. And they kind of turned the offense over to him in December and he was putting up 30 a game, uh, which is lovely to have that option. (laughs) But I think you just got to have just time together. Uh, And I think that's the big concern because when you go to the playoffs, you're going to see Denver, who's played together forever. You're going to see Memphis, who's played together forever. The Warriors, Phoenix. So many of those teams in the West are battle-tested. And as as good as that experience was for the Pelicans last year, they're nowhere near what those teams have done uh, just postseason, being there, going through those tough road games, facing a 2-1 deficit in the playoff series. They just haven't dealt with that. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing, how – can they manage that? And do they have enough chemistry on the court where it just doesn't get awkward where things start falling apart? Because once you play a team four, five, six times, they start to take away some of the stuff you want to do. And what does it look like for the Pelicans? I think it's going to be the biggest question. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
All right, Will, thank you for answering all of our questions. But it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat Pelicans Edition. Andrew will be facing off this week, of course, against Will Guillory, Pelicans beat writer at The Athletic. Now, Will, you've played uh, this game before against Andrew. I, if I remember correctly, you did fairly well in your appearances. Um, so let's hope let's hope this is another good showing for you. As you know, there are eight questions all about the Pelicans. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It will correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get two points, at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So, Will, to start us off today, can you give me a number between one and eight? I'm always going to start with seven. Shout out to the seven war in New Orleans. Let's go. I'm very glad you started off with number seven because I'm going to read off five nicknames. Four of them are from Basketball Reference and are nicknames for players on the Pelicans roster. One is made up. Find <laughs> the imposter. Okay? Oh, oh no. So I'm going to read off five nicknames. One of them is fake. The other four are real, according to Basketball Reference. So these are Tiny current Dub- Pelicans. Uh, yes, for current Pelicans. Yes. Current Pelicans. Okay. Okay. Tiny Dog, Cool J, Big Science, Straight Jacket, The Knife. So once again, that's Tiny Dog, Cool J, Big Science, Straight Jacket, The Knife. Okay, so The Knife was a nickname that was just given to Najee Marshall. Shout out to The Knife. Uh, that might be my favorite nickname out of all of the Shout out to The Knife. <laughs> the Knife. Every time Najee scores, I just scream, The Knife. Um, and uh, Straight Jacket is Herb Jones. And uh, Tiny Dog is B.I. I know because I asked B.I. about that last year. So it's between Cool J and uh, Big Science. Big Science. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, Big Science as the imposter here because I feel like Cool J doesn't sound like something somebody would make up. So I'm going to go with the Big Science. Will went with Big Science. That is Incorrect. That is one of Jonas Valanciunas's nicknames on Basketball Reference. So, Andrew, science. can you find the imposter? Well, he really walked me to this answer. I think it's Cool J. If, I, if this is wrong, then I'm, I don't know what to say. Uh, that is correct, and I got that name from a 2014 Blazers message board where they were trying to come up with nicknames for C.J. McCollum. Cool J. Cool J. I'm glad that didn't gain any traction because that is a trash. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible nickname. Uh, number one. Okay, question number one. This is a fun one. Jose Alvarado has played 840 minutes. It's actually a little bit higher than that after last okay. night's game. There are 13 undrafted players who have played more minutes than Alvarado this season, and we're going to try to name them all. So, Andrew, you're going to give okay. me a name. Then Will will give me a name. We'll go back and forth. So these are... Players who were not drafted in their respective draft class, and they have played more minutes this season than Jose Alvarado. Mm. Uh, Lugan Stort. Lugan Stort is correct. Over to Will. Um, Fred Van Vliet. That is correct. He's number three on the minutes list. Dort is number four. Oh, boy. Those are two. Those uh, are the two easy ones. Christian Wood. That is correct. He's number oh. five on the list. 
one. That is a go. So number one and number two are still out there. They're still out there. Wow. God, that is tough. I feel like I need to go back to that OKC well for some reason. <laughs> um, but a lot of those guys—they've played more. Ugh, I feel like yeah, that's the tough part. Second round picks like Trey Mann, Aaron Wiggins—they're like second round picks. You wouldn't know that they were draft picks. Trey Mann's first round pick. Oh, he was. See, I'm yeah. learning something here. Um. I'm going to go with um, Najee Marshall. That is correct, Will. Oh. I thought that might uh, trick you guys that Najee has played wow. more than Jose Alvarado on the same team. Also undrafted. So, Andrew, back to you. Najee plays a lot. The knife. <laughs> um, what about Austin Reeves? Austin Reeves is number seven, Andrew. Andrew knows all the undrafted guys back to Will. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe it. Number one is still out there. How do we not? Number one and number two, they've both played one? over 1,200 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Who is it? Minutes. I'm thinking about, like, the terrible teams because I feel like the undrafted guys would be playing on terrible teams. Uh, That's not necessarily true. Yeah, because the two of them we named on the Pelicans, and they're a good team. Yeah. Um. Shoot. I'm gonna go uh, bowl bowl, even though I know that's wrong. Well, it is wrong. Uh, so number drafted. one, undrafted, Royce O'Neal for the Brooklyn Nets. Really? Uh, I didn't even remember Car- that he was undrafted. Uh, Max Struess. Oh, on the list. How do we he- not? Name- was not. He must have been fewer minutes than Alvarado. Uh, Caleb Martin, Tory Craig, Dorian Finney-Smith, John Conchar, Damian Lee, and Chetty Osmond were the other Conchar. names on that list. All right, Andrew, so that's two points for you. Going back to Will. Well, you're currently down three to zero, but you can come back starting now. Rough start. I'm going to go uh, number three. Okay, question number three. If he plays the rest of the season, C.J. McCollum is currently on pace to set the Pelicans franchise record for three-pointers made, a record that was set by Peja Stojakovic in 2007-2008 with 213 threes. During that 07-08 season, who was second on the team in three-pointers made? Uh, I'm gonna go with my guy uh, Mo Pete. Shout out to Morris Peterson. Is that is that it? Will that is absolutely correct. It was oh, Mo Pete. Pete. Wow, the legend. What a pull. What a pull. All right, Andrew, uh, back to you. Number two. Question number two. New Orleans is one of ten NBA teams with three top five picks on the roster. There are only two teams in the league, however, with four top five picks currently on their roster. Can you name them? You get one point per correct answer. Four top five picks. Four guys who were drafted in the top five of their respective draft classes are currently on the same NBA roster in two different cities. Detroit? Detroit is... Incorrect. It, oh my gosh! It really is. Um, because they have they have Cade, Jaden Ivey, and uh, Marvin Bagley. Marvin who would Bagley. be the fourth? 
Nerlens was six, Andrew. That that would have oh, gotten yeah. you there. Kevin Knox, you know, he was top ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I thought Killian Hayes was seven. Killian Hayes was seventh. Yeah, yeah they just have a lot of lottery guys at the top five. Uh, so Will, you have a chance now. You could you could get two points here if you somehow uh, got both of these correct. Two different teams. The first one that popped into my head was the Orlando Magic. A great guess, but it is incorrect as well. Of course, Orlando has uh, they have uh, Fultz, they have Jalen Suggs, and they have Paulo. But do they have another one? I'm double checking. Jonathan Isaac was sixth. Mm. Uh, Franz was right outside five too. Franz was seven. Bamba was six. They were very close. Wow. Very close. Wow, wow, wow. The two uh, correct answers, Boston, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and Blake Marcus. Griffin. Blake Marcus Smart was like six. Marcus Smart was six. Uh, and then Cleveland, Blake. Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro, Darius Garland, and Caleb. Caleb. Uh, there's some sneaky ones out there. There are some sneaky ones out there. Okay, so it's back to Will. It's still a one-point game. I'm going to go number eight. Okay, question number eight. The New Orleans Pelicans generate 8.6 steals per game, which is the second best mark in the league. Who is the only team in the league to get more steals per game than the Pelicans? Uh, The Toronto Raptors. Will, that is absolutely correct for two points. And Will has pulled ahead four to three with three questions left. And I'm letting you know the worst trivia question I've ever written is still on the board. (laughs) I'm very excited (laughs) for you guys to choose it. Oh, no. Number four. Question number four. What is Garrett Temple's career high in points in a game? Now, Andrew, you get to choose who answers first. So you can answer first, and then Will can go higher or lower. Or you can make Will answer first, and you go higher or lower. Career high for Garrett Temple in a basketball game. 24. All right, Will, would you like to go higher or lower than 24 points for Garrett Temple? I think it might be slightly higher, so I'm going to go higher. The correct answer, Garrett Temple once scored 34 points oh, in an uh, NBA basketball game. Garrett. Not slightly, but go. I'll take it. Garrett? Wow. Wow. Garrett. That's- yeah, there's not a lot of Garretts in the NBA. Definitely wow. underestimated Garrett. Uh, okay, <laughs> two questions left. Will, you have a two-point lead here. So if you get any points here, the game is over. The worst question ever is still out there between it's five. Out there. I'm going to go six. And you chose it. Now, uh, <laughs> as know. a preface to this question, worst question I've ever written, one of those questions that uh, you come up with at midnight when you're just staring at the basketball reference page for the Pelicans, trying to come up with one final question. Good luck. When looking at the first and last names of every player currently on the Pelicans roster, which two letters of the alphabet are the only letters not represented? So first and last name only. So for instance, Z is obviously covered by Zion. By big Zion Williamson. But there are two letters that are not found in anyone's name. Oh my gosh. One, I'm going to go Q. Q, that is correct, Will. There are no Qs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um there's a v valentinus 
It's a knowledge you only get from being a beat writer. Can instantly remember that there are no cues. On I see the reason I asked middle name because mm-hmm. Brandon Ingram is Brandon Xavier Ingram. Mm. So no middle names. I'm gonna go with X. Well, unfortunately for you, Jackson Hayes Jackson is Hayes. spelled with an X. An X. Uh, Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point if you can name the other letter that is not found in any pelican's name. This is so hard. This is a <laughs> I don't I don't even know what to say. Um, I mean, we've narrowed it down pretty well for you. There's like only 22 letters left. Yeah. Uh, F. I don't know. Oh, Andrew, it is F. F oh, is the correct answer. You got to be kidding me. Andrew, that is huge because it is now just thinking four to of the five. F word the whole time, just like, how the F am I supposed to know the answer to this? <laughs> okay. The, the current score, four to six, excuse me. Will is ahead by two points, but okay. the final question goes to you first. So you could tie this up on the final okay. question, Andrew. Okay. No Pelican has recorded a triple-double since the 2020-2021 season. Who were the last two Pelicans to record a triple-double? So at least one of them happened during that season, and then one could have happened in that season or another season. And you get one point per correct answer. 2020-2021. Yes. So the last oh, two Pelicans gosh. to record a triple-double. I feel like Will knows this. <laughs> I would hope I know it. I was covering the team that season. <laughs> I feel like there's an answer that I want to say, but I feel like it might be wrong. Alonzo, uh, Lonzo Ball. Lonzo is correct. Okay. Lonzo was the most recent Pelican to record a triple double. Can you remember okay. the second last Pelican to get a triple? But it wasn't it wasn't in the 2021 season. It's just it, like it could whenever. be. It could be that season. It could be in seasons past. Just the last the second to last Pelican to get a triple double. Anthony Davis, I don't know. <laughs> Andrew, that is unfortunately incorrect. Will, do you know who it is? I don't think AD's ever had a triple double in his career. I might be incorrect about that, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty. I know Andrew's gonna be really upset about he is wrong because you the guy it. who got triple double during that season was Stephen Adams. Stephen Adams it was Stephen Adams. Did. I remember it now that you're saying it. Triple double that season. Dang. <laughs> So the final score, Will Guillory, 7-5 to five over Andrew on Andrew versus uh-huh. the Beat. Congrats to Will. I oh, needed, that one hurts. This, I needed this win, so I appreciate it for sure. Oh, I'm still mad at myself Jackson Hayes, though. Uh, Jackson's going to give me some crap about that one, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on, man. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Andrew, that was Pelicans Week, but it is now time to pick a new team. And we have 21 teams remaining. Uh, we mentioned the Kings earlier. They're still on. Yep. Here, um, I was just, actually, I'm looking at San Antonio. Isn't the Alamo, is the Alamo Dome game this week? Yeah, it is. Oh, it's t- is it tonight? It might be tonight. Um, I think it is tonight, which would still qualify for the wheel. It would still qualify. It's supposed to be the biggest uh, audience ever. Very exciting. Um, okay, here yeah. we go. For that team. For that team. Spinning the wheel. Our wheel of fandom team this week. Oh, boy. Is the... going to be... 
Chicago Bulls. Oh, wow. The Chicago Bulls. Wow. Okay. We actually get to see them play the Thunder tonight in Chicago. That is true. So that should should be interesting. And good for the Bulls. Yeah. The Thunder on the second night of a back-to-back. Maybe that's a good thing for the Bulls. Oh, well, they have got out. big homestand. So they get uh, OKC at home, then they get Golden State at home, and then yeah. they get Detroit at home next Thursday on NBA TV. And then they have another game, Atlanta. That'll be uh, two weeks from now. But yeah, four-game wow. homestand for the Bulls. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go Bulls. Hopefully, maybe we can get Trey Kirby back on the pod. Trey, if you're listening, let me know if you want to come on Slam and Jam next week. We'll, we'll be glad to have you. Um, should be a very should be a very fun week. Actually, I kind of like watching the Bulls. There's always some drama going on, either like in their games or around the Bulls. So, it should be quite interesting as we edge closer to the trade deadline too. Uh, thanks so much for listening to our show. Leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, and we will read it on the show this review comes from mj rocks 101 five stars great saturday pods the saturday slam and jam is the best weekly pod on the internet and it's something i look forward to every week while i listen to it playing some hoops every saturday morning 10 out of 10 would recommend thanks so much for leaving that review if you leave us one you will also have it read on the podcast Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball. We will talk to you guys again next week.